Lloyd with Morgan streaking. She's chipping the goalkeeper. The pay disparity between the men and women is, is just too large and, and we want to continue to fight. Uh, the generation of players before us fought and now it's our job to, to keep on fighting. The pay cap for the women's Major League Soccer players is 11 times less than the pay cap for men's Major League Soccer. 11 times. Rapino gets across him. It's towards Wilson. Listening to Give and Go with Rotas Wadera only on Girls Soccer Network. Hello and welcome, everybody. Welcome to episode 69 of Give and Go. I am your host, Rotas Wadera, and thank you so, so much for making the choice to listen to us at Girls Soccer Network. As always, for all the latest and greatest lifestyle, news, analysis, everything from the world of women's soccer. Go to www.girlssoccernetwork.com. Check us out on Instagram at Girls Soccer Network or on Twitter at Girls Soccer Net. If you want to give me a follow, check me out on Instagram at RowanDatas25, R-O-W-I-N-D-A-T-A-S 25. And again, I will follow you back. I'm not, I'm not that kind of guy. So again, if you want to get in touch, reach out. Let us know about how we can improve this show. Right, anything we can do to get the content that you want to hear, please reach out to us and get in touch with us. Get in touch with me. Let us know. This we've got a crazy episode coming, so so be ready. Two jam-packed interviews. One, Amanda Vandevort, the president of the USL, and what we're seeing them do within the USL has been incredible. Making their Super League that is going to be not in direct competition with the NWSL, but it is going to be something to keep an eye on in terms of another professional league for women's players in America. It's an incredible project. Then secondly, we have Mike Kalina, the CEO of U.S. Club Soccer, who is running to become the vice president of U.S. Soccer. It is a huge election that is coming up within the world of U.S. Soccer. So this is going to be a great opportunity to get to know Mike Kalina a little bit better and if he is elected, what he is going to bring to the table to U.S. Soccer. So between those two interviews and then a jam-packed free agency period, there are some historic moves that we need to talk about, and I cannot wait to get into it. We have to. We have to start with Bay FC and what they've done in this offseason, and they clearly took the approach that Angel City took, which is we are going to be aggressive, and we're going to make sure that we field a incredibly competitive team right away now angel city went and got the american stars to put people in seats but now bay fc went and got some incredible players from abroad if you didn't know if you've been following this show you know i have been a fan of dana castellanos for a long time but she was in europe so we didn't really get to see a lot of her now she's coming to bay fc and when i tell you this girl is fireworks what she is going to do for this league in terms of Blair and passing. And she's in the mold of a Maria Sanchez, to be quite honest with you, is what Dana Castellanos brings to the table. So that's just the first signing they got. Then they sign a longtime defender at Arsenal, Jen Beattie, the Scottish international. So you're getting an experienced defender to strengthen that back line along players like 
Caprice Didasco. They added Kayla Sharples in free agency. They have Alex Loera. They drafted Savvy King. All of a sudden, <laughs> this defense, man, and this team, Emily Menges, no one talked about, Kiki Pickett, no one talked about how this team went out and just practically built a solid roster off off the jump. So you have Jen Beatty to help anchor this back line. And then the biggest siding of all, Asisat Oshuala from Barcelona, one of the best players in the world, is coming to the NWSL. So anyone who wants to say that the NWSL is not the most competitive league in the world and is not the best league in the world right now, just tell that to all of the stars that have come into the NWSL this year because something is happening in women's soccer that everyone needs to start paying attention. There is no more leaving this alone. You have to pay attention to them now. Asisat Oshawala, are you kidding me? What she is going to do for this league in terms of I've I've harped on this for so long on this show about how the NWSL at times it's too many touches on the ball. The speed of the game is not as fast at times as what you will see in Europe. Europe is a little bit more, not a little bit more, a lot more one-touch football, a lot more keep the ball moving along the ground. Whereas in the United States, it's a little more take you a little more time on the ball you pick up the ball in the midfield take a touch here a touch there you have a little more time on the ball and so what castellanos and oshawala are going to do for the league that like those two up front oh man i'm telling you guys like what that is going to do for this league is so incredibly exciting like a player of her caliber from barcelona coming to the league like this doesn't happen very often guys you got to understand like this has not happened to this extent where you know our stars our american stars will go to europe to play for a year or two right because they want to taste champions league football but how often does a player at the peak of her powers come to america like this to to grow the league and be a part of something new from the ground up you're not going to see a story like this this is one of the biggest stories in women's soccer, and I mean, come on, you have Oshawala, you have Princess Marfo, they've signed, they got Maya Doms in the draft. This team is going to come out and compete. They added Scarlett Camberos from Angel City. All of a sudden, this team has pieces to where they're going to be able to perform right away. Expectations are going to be incredibly high, you can believe that, but Oshawala's probably going to get double digit goals in this league. Without question, she's going to get double-digit goals in this league. She's that good of a player. I think she should get double. Like, when Sam Kerr was here, right, for Sky Blue and then the Red Stars, you saw what Sam Kerr did, just utterly dominate. That's the kind of thing that Oshawala is going to do. Like, she is head and shoulders above, like, half of the back lines that the NWSL has. Uh, she's ready for the physical side of the game. She's bigger than a lot of the defenders. So this is going to be uh, fun for Bay FC. I'm, I'm not going to lie. As an Angel City fan, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of jealous if I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I know it's not good, but uh, the team that they built, Oshawala was one of the big signings. You want to talk about a huge splash. Oh, so, so excited for the league, for the NWSL. And that's, again, like I said, just the tip of the iceberg with some of the moves that have happened in free agency. And we're going to get more into that later. But first, 
we want to get you that Amanda Vandervoort interview with the president of the United Soccer League. Here it is, guys. Enjoy. So we are with the president of the USL, Amanda Vandervoort. Amanda, how are you doing? Oh, I'm great. Thank you. It is a delight to be here, and thank you guys for having me. Yeah, how have you enjoyed the convention so far? Oh my gosh, this is my 22nd United Soccer Coaches Convention um, since 2002. I've been coming to this thing every year. It is a fixture on my calendar. I will not miss it. It is the, the happiest week, the most energizing week uh, of my life every year. That's amazing. And you're obviously here for the USL. And when did the idea for this whole Pro League begin? And how, what has it been like kind of bringing that idea to fruition? You know, the USL has been plan, has had plans for professional women's soccer forever. I mean, as long as I know that I've known. I mean, we've seen plans going back 10 years for professional women's soccer. Um, but when I came on board two and a half years ago, uh, the, the, I guess, institutional stars had lined up really well for us with our ownership groups, our investments, um, the way that the league operates across both men's and now women's soccer, um, just uh, all lined up in the right way for us to be able to launch the Super League in August 2024, both with immediate viability in mind of having a really awesome league when we kick off, but also long-term sustainability so that this league will um, you know, extend for, for generations to come. And with this new league, please explain for those, because I'm sure people are still confused, especially when the announcement came out, how does this impact with the NWSL? How are they going to coexist? Is this going to work? Yeah, I think if we even start with the numbers, right? Today, there's 12 NWSL teams. There will be there'll be 14 next year. Do you know there's over 100 men's professional soccer teams in the United States? That delta is unbelievable. And to me, just that alone speaks to the opportunity. When you know there's 40,000 women playing college soccer in the United States, and so few of them even get the opportunity to go pro today, there's, um, there's, there's just so much white space for us to build and grow something not just for today but for for the future and build towards what we want soccer what we want the opportunities in soccer to look like um, for players for coaches you know for front office staff for, for me more media more networks just more opportunities in the game you know I'm gonna interject on a personal note here I just finished my fifth year of college and I'm looking to advance on that pro level and I know the Super League was super exciting for me just in this regards of what it's creating and that platform that you guys are having. Kickoff is August of 2024. What is that moment going to feel like for you and how is everything going to encapsulate into that moment? Oh, I remember I worked at WPS and I actually remember the first game. So we launched WPS in 2009, which was the second women's pro league in this country. And I remember being there at the inaugural game. At that time, I was running Twitter like that my job was you know slinging tweets and I loved it um, and I felt so much pride in just you know the league launching and, and the players taking the field and so I kind of reflect a little bit on that and how I felt in that moment but I feel like now being the president of the league and standing on the side of the field for our launch is I, 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 like I don't know, I guess that feeling of pride and enthusiasm and excitement for the future amplified and multiplied by like a bazillion. <laughs> and what does it mean to you guys to have that tier one ranking as a pro league from FIFA too? Yeah, we're, you know, we believe um, in, in minimum standards, again, that are going to set us up for long-term success. 
So to have um, at least a stadium with at least 5,000 seats, have owner net worth that allows for sustainable investments over time and making sure that we can create the best environment for players, both in training and at the games, um, is something that we're really, really focused on. So for us, this um, tier one standard is about the highest standards for the players, for the coaches, and for the fans that we can deliver in the United States. And there's all this hype, there's all this excitement, there's top flight status, but what about a media deal to get the, vi the league the visibility that it deserves? Yeah, we think a lot about that, about visibility, about awareness, about access, making sure that we can get the USL Super League into as many homes, as many hands, as many digital platforms as possible. So certainly, of course, as you would expect, launching a professional league, we're thinking a lot about the media deal, working on it. Um, and, uh, and we'll be excited when, when we can announce where we're going to be and where, where fans can see the games. You know, there's so many different markets that the Super League is in right now. How was it selecting those markets and like, how did those certain areas come to be? Yeah, it's, uh, it is pretty special. We've announced 14 different markets for the USL Super League, both the ones launching in 2024 and then those launching in 25 and beyond. And what we're really focused on is the, um, the I mean, many things, like I've described a little bit of it already, but we're really looking at infrastructure and making sure that as we're building, we're not only building teams, but we're building facilities, we're building stadiums. You're going to see projects, Indianapolis is a great example of a project that's going to come in in the future with a 20,000 seat billion dollar project in downtown um, in downtown Indy. And so bringing those kind of, of environments into the Super League as we grow and develop, I think you're going to see, um, you know, the, the, the level kick off amazing and then grow. And, and we understand where we are today and what that path looks like. Yeah. So what is the long-term goal then? The long-term goal is to create, you know, create those opportunities, have an amazing league um, that features the best of the best. Um, we, we have an international calendar, so we are aligned with the international like marketplace. We'll kick off in August. We have a winter break and then um, in like December, January, and then we'll play again um, in, the, in the spring ending um, you know May and June in the spring so really our schedule is like the rest of the world and so we believe that the USL Super League because we have this abundance of amazing talent we have this incredible infrastructure um, aligned with our men's infrastructure which is already proven to be successful we think that we can be a leader in the global game but be aligned with the rest of the world as well and invite participation from top national teams around the world too so um, yeah, the 10-year vision is, is certainly something we think and talk a lot about. It's like, what are we building for the future? Um, and, uh, and, and we're proud of that. So, you know, as, this thing, as it comes together, though, it's going to be the work of all of, all of us to, to see that come to fruition, like yourself, coming in and playing in the league. We want to listen to you and say, what's important to you so that we can then deliver on that in the future? I, our vision today will shape and shift and, and turn to be the best that can be 10 years from now, in which time we're going to be having the conversation about 10 years on from then, too. So we actually spoke with uh, Nicole Lukic last year at the convention of the Minnesota Aurora and we kind of got to see that shows what can be achieved with this grassroots approach, sold out stadiums. So is that really what your guys' vision is and, and what did you guys really do to put set the stage for them to be able to do that? 
ruthless, and that organization's unbelievable. I mean, what they, they led, um, they've led with their values and their vision very publicly and very intently, like intention from day one. And I think um, they've engaged the fans and they've listened to the players uh, in a really authentic way. So to me, that's the word I would use instead of grassroots. I would say it's authentic. Authentic to, to the, the Twin Cities, authentic to the sport of soccer, um, and, and they've delivered every step of the way, which is so important. We have to maintain that standard of professionalism, and that club, up and down, all day long, delivers, and Nicole's been amazing. Now, this number is going to change, but the league is made up right now of 70% college players. Is the hope or goal that more pros are now going to come into the USL, or do you want it to still be more of a league for college players to develop as they have been? So, just a point of clarification, so the... the the pathway is something that we're really focused on at the USL. So there's three tiers of, of play, you could say, in, in the USL on the women's side. There's the academy, which is under 20, am, all amateur players. The W League, which is mostly, to your point, which is about 70% college players. And then the Pro League, the Super League, which kicks off in the fall. And we think a lot about how those all connect together and make sure that we're providing opportunities for players, again, to, to be their best, be at the elite level, no matter how old they are or at what level they are within the ecosystem. So we've had uh, about 60 players that have played in the W League, this amateur league in the summer, um, pre-professional, go on to be pros. So some in the NWSL, a lot have gone abroad actually because you know those opportunities abroad are growing and growing. Um, I think we have about 70 players uh, in the NWSL draft who featured in, in the W League, um, NWSL uh, or uh, W League players and alumni. So for us, that's, that's so compelling to know that the W League is a platform that provides you know, the opportunity for these players to be seen, for them to, to develop their game in, a, in months when there is um, just kind of a lack of competitive soccer. So absolutely, seeing our W League players go into the professional game is something we're really, really proud of. And once we have the Super League in place, I think you're going to see even more of that because it's a very intentional playing network, but also a scouting network for our Super League teams. Now, I want to go back a little bit. The public has seen you as this public, you know, face figure for women's soccer. You've been, like, this really important figure, but they might not know from your old days <laughs> that you were a coach at TCNJ. You coached yeah. at NYU. How did those experiences help you along your journey to get to where oh you are Oh, my now? gosh. Well, I mean, you know, we, we talk a lot about players and the impact of athletics on um, future C-suite leadership, and I fully believe that myself as a president of an organization, any organization, I think I benefited so greatly from being a player. First of all, you know, you learn to navigate conflict and leadership and different skills and strengths that different muscles we stretch, our, our brains and our hearts that in addition to, you know, our legs and my arms because I'm a goalkeeper, but um, that... that it's impossible to get in any other environment, right? Um, coaching, I learned a lot about leadership um, and, and development and how to have really difficult conversations with people when I didn't want to. <laughs> um, and all of those skill sets have, have um, you know, definitely been really important for me as, as the leader I am now and, and shaped me into that. So um, a lot along the way, I would say beyond that, but certainly, foundationally being a player and a coach um, 
also have given me the perspective that now as an executive in the boardroom, it's so important to have players and coaches' voices at the table. Like I'm a firm believer that um, no matter where you are in your soccer journey, you bring a perspective and an experience that we should all be listening to and using it as part of a decision like matrix. Right, and, and without those that diversity of thought and experience and perspective in the game, we don't make complete decisions as leaders. And so part of my role, I feel, is to always make sure there's a player in the room and or a coach in the room or somebody who has that sporting experience. And I, I think I get that from being a player myself, um, but also being so connected to this association, United Soccer Coaches, throughout my career too. You know, there was a very exciting announcement in the USL this past week, the introduction of USL Youth, and I know we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but can you talk about the impact on that pyramid that you are explaining earlier that the youth program is going to have? Oh, it's unbelievable. We're so proud, yeah, to, to announce USL Youth and really the, the opportunity that it provides for us to showcase to the community, the youth community, all that the USL offers and that pathway from being a youth player, like what is possible in the game. If you go on to um, be a pro, that's great, but also um, you have exposure and opportunity across all the different facets of, of our sport. and. It's a great competitive platform and a fun competitive platform um, for players across the landscape. I'm excited for you guys to talk with Joel Nash, who heads up our, all of our pre-professional properties at the USL, and, and dig a little deeper on, on USL Youth and the announcement this week, because it really it, it made a huge splash, and we're really, really proud of it. Absolutely. Last question for you from my end. What is your advice to all the women out there who are looking to have a career in soccer? Well, my advice would be um, to be in the places with the people who uh, do what you want to do. So, uh, and I'll use my own experience because when I, I left, I was at Major League Soccer 10 years. I was a vice president of fan engagement and I loved it. I loved being at MLS. But I knew that I wanted to be in women's soccer and I wanted to be in the global game. So I... Um, I left MLS uh, in like April, and this was 2019. I went to the Women's World Cup, and I spent a lot of time networking and getting to know people in women's international soccer. Um, and what came from that was a role at the Global Players Union in, in Amsterdam, working in international women's soccer, right? So, but I had to kind of go and put myself in that place to network among the people who I thought I might. I didn't know what the job was going to be. I didn't know where I was going to land. But networking with those people was kind of the, the, the linchpin of it all. So if there's any advice I can give, it's network, but network with the right people. That was Amanda Vandervoort of the USL, the president of the USL. And the biggest takeaway that I got from that interview was the opportunities that are being provided to women in the United States who want to continue their pro careers. And that's really the biggest thing is that players have an opportunity like the nwsl isn't big enough 14 teams with a set amount of roster spots when we're at the draft we're evaluating talent we're seeing that there's a lot of great players that go undrafted and there's so many players there's at least one or two players at least there's definitely even more than that who come in who don't get drafted who come in as an unsigned uh unsigned rookie or coming in to try and take a roster spot at a, at a team's camp that always happens as well. So now with the USL, we're talking about nine teams right now with 10 to 12 teams coming in the future. And 
the other thing to clarify right is the division one status so it's not in direct competition with the nwsl but it is going to be there they're both top flight status so this is going to be another high level of football and then you talk about some of the organizations like we mentioned in the interview minnesota aurora has been something incredible that you can see built from the ground up with a community and a strong passionate fan base behind it you can see what's possible in the usl so this is an exciting proposition that more women are going to get opportunities to play at the highest level which is what matters and we'll see we, we didn't get to go much into media rights and if a deal will be coming soon because that's honestly the next step for the usl can they get a, a solid media deal based on what the nwsl just got i mean the nwsl is going to be on espn guys it's going to be on espn and abc they made it it's here the nwsl has finally made it guys ESPN and ABC once you get that backing it's over now you have the resources now people are going to get to see the players more there's going to be more marketing and advertising behind the players like you're going to see the difference now we're truly starting to see all the things we've talked about on this pod for so many years about getting the women the resources they need this is that this is that now the one thing I will say ION and scripts, it's it's fine. Uh, you have to have like a very specific setting, or I don't know how you get ION. Maybe it's part of a different streaming or cable service. But on Samsung smart TVs, you can access the ION channels there. So I've watched some WNBA games there. It's going to be great for the league uh, to have to have again just the games on TV really just the best thing so everyone can watch now rather than go through the streaming service that doo-doo streaming service that's paramount plus it's not good guys it's not good and that commercial that that came out that's where all their budget goes because again they're the rest of their streaming platform stinks so they had to pay all the celebrities in order to put out a good commercial but the actual product stinks okay rant over <laughs> let's get back into a little bit of the the free agency frenzy that has been going on within the league. One thing I can say for certain is that the West Coast has gotten busy. Portland and Angel City both in both making their own moves simultaneously. Portland has re-signed Becky Sauerbrunn for another year and Christine Sinclair. So both are going to get one more go around with this group. So if you're Portland, this is really the mindset coming into this year. Like, this is it. You need to, one, give Christine Sinclair, like, a farewell, farewell tour. I guess she hasn't necessarily said that, like, this is going to be it, it for sure. But she's going to, right, she needs to get some kind of, obviously, recognition for everything that she's done. So, like, some type of farewell tour will likely take place if this is her last year. Right, but they're both coming back for one more year. This is the last time you're really going to get these two. I mean, you never know, right? They could still come back, but from what we've been seeing from both of them on the pitch, this genuinely, truly feels like this is their last go-around. So if you're a Portland fan, enjoy it, um, because we're not going to get to see greatness like this for much longer when we're talking about Sinclair and Becky Sauerbrunn, two of the all-time greats 
at their respective positions, like all timer. Like Becky Sauerbrunn is one of is yeah, probably the best center back in United States soccer history and then Christine Sinclair is the goat of all goats. So if you're Portland you gotta enjoy that for a little bit longer. And then they traded Rocky Rodriguez to Angel City, so Angel City is able to bolster their midfield significantly. Danny Weatherholt walked and I think went to North Carolina, so they needed a strong midfield presence to replace Weatherholt. And I think they upgrade even a little bit within with what Rocky Rodriguez can do because Rocky Danny Weatherholt was great, but was more on the defensive side of things and more of a passer, but never really got forward and attack as much and scored. Wasn't a part of her game as much as Rocky can score. She can score from free kicks. She can score from long-range volleys. She can score in the box, outside the box. She can score from anywhere. So this was a great move to bring Rocky to L.A. And with Rocky leaving Portland, Portland went out and also made a huge splash. Jesse Fleming, another star. And this is what I was talking about, guys. Dana Castellanos, Cesar Oshualo, Jesse Fleming, the young talent that is coming to the league. We have been waiting so long for this. You guys have no idea. Jesse Fleming is an incredible player. But because Chelsea is so loaded, you're not going to get to see her play and start in as many games as you think she should. Now she comes into Portland. That's a immediate plug-and-play starter right away who is going to come in at a high level has been one of Canada's leaders for so long and your parent are with Sinclair so that'll hopefully help Sinclair out a little bit more it's a huge splash for Portland to get a player like Jesse Fleming and I mean what more could you ask for if you're Portland like she obviously knows that she's joining a great organization and Jesse obviously wanted to you know make that move and Wow, from Chelsea to Portland, Jesse Fleming's coming in. Man, I'm so excited. This The league is going to be incredible. We go back to Angel City, who also traded for Messia Bright, and that move absolutely stunned me. Let me tell you, how in the world do you let one of your leading goal scorers leave? Like, how are you just going to trade her for basically a little bit of money? That absolutely shocked me. We're talking about a great talent here. And sometimes the teams, I don't know what you're doing. Like, how are you going to give up a young asset like that that has shown to score goals in the league already and is shown to have a ton of potential? You're going to give her away for pretty much nothing. That's where the WSL's got some work to do uh, when we're com- when we're talking about the front office and, and knowing how much value certain players have and what they're worth. Like to me, again, what do I know, right? I'm just a I'm just a guy that's been watching sports for all these years and have followed it obsessively. So I have seen it. I am telling you, you do not let a player like Messi Bright, you don't just trade her away and, and not get enough back. Teams are not getting enough back for the players that they're trading away. It's that simple. I don't know if there's not enough picks to go around. Maybe they don't want to give up certain players, but the league has to do better in this regard. Hey, I'm not complaining. Messi Bright comes in and really helps bolster that attack because, again, Savannah McCaskill is gone. Kristen Press is still working her way back from injury. And you just have, essentially, 
Alyssa Thompson as one of the key contributors up front. Still have Junendo as a creator. You add Meggie Doherty Howard to again do some of the dirty work in that midfield. Sydney LaRue is showing that she might just very well be back back. So there's that. And Amandine Henri is still with the club. So this team's going to have a ton of talent to work with. And, and Becky Tweed has shown she's done an incredible job. So Angel City's going to be competitive. What the West Coast scene is going to be like, those four teams all together, no, five teams, excuse me, between the Seattle Reign, Portland Thorns, Bay of Sea, Angel City, and the San Diego Wave. Those five teams, think about that. Seattle got to the finals. San Diego Wave just won the shield. Portland is Portland. Angel City made the playoffs. And Bay FC's coming in hot. The East Coast better look out. I mean, look, okay, Gotham won. All right, Gotham are the reigning title holders. Yes, they are great. They're phenomenal. Uh, the East Coast still reigns supreme. But what the West Coast is doing right now, you cannot, you cannot avoid it. Can't, you have to pay attention and take notice. That's just the bottom line. All right, we will go to England next to talk about a few moves that have happened there along with England to NWSL moves. But first, we want to get to another great interview with the CEO of U.S. Club Soccer, Mike Kulina. He, again, he is running for vice president of U.S. Soccer, and it would be a huge Huge opportunity for him. It was in, it was great to be able to speak with him and see what his visions are for U.S. soccer. So here it is, guys. Enjoy. We are with Mike Kalina, who is the current CEO of U.S. Club Soccer and is a nominee for the U.S. Soccer Vice President. Mike, thanks for joining us. How are you and how are you enjoying the convention so far? Yeah, good afternoon. Uh, it's the convention. I've been to 20 some of these, and it's always an amazing gathering. And I enjoyed it. It, it when I first started coming. It was a much different capacity, and and now it's it's more. It, it, you know, it's just in a different place. But I, I love the convention. You're here in part running as a nominee for U.S. Soccer Vice President. How did this opportunity come about? And if elected, what are you hoping to do for U.S. Soccer? Yeah, I mean, I'm here because. This is what I've done for 30 years. I've been coming to the convention for 30 years, so I'm not here uh, necessarily as a nominee. I just happen to be a nominee, right? So uh, I would be here regardless. Um, so, but the fact is, I am here, and we are we we are looking at an election for the vice president. Um, and you know the position came about I've been on the board for the last few years I, I first was on the board as the at-large representative and now I'm on the on the board as a youth representative um, developed a very good partnership with the rest of the board with the senior leadership team at, the, at US soccer um, obviously with our president and other board members and I, I believe absolutely in the work that they've been doing in the last 18 months or so and where the transition and the change associated with how U.S. soccer is engaging with the membership and helping to grow the sport. And I think you can see from the strategic initiatives, from the accelerated initiatives, where we're trying to go. Um, and for me, this, this is just an opportunity to partner even further with them and support the work of, of an incredibly talented team at U.S. soccer and the work that they need to do. 
I think people misunderstand sometimes what the role of the VP is. It's not a, this is not an operational role. This is not getting in and, and, and rolling your sleeves up to the point where you're managing and running things. You're in support. You help establish a vision in conjunction with the rest of the board, but really it's Cindy's vision. Cindy is the president of U.S. Soccer. And my role will be to support her, to support JT and the rest of the staff, um, and to support the game. And I'm, I'm incredibly passionate about the work that we're doing. So, you know, that's why I decided to run. And do you feel, you talked about change and being able to implement that and kind of to not be so hands-on. Is that a difficult process for you to have to want to be hands-on versus not? No. Um, I have plenty of opportunity to be hands-on in the sport. You know, uh, what I do every single day is in the sport. So, uh, you know, there are times that you have to play your role, and that's part of being on a team. And, and sometimes they need you to go score the goal, and sometimes they just need you to sit in and, and defend, whatever the case may be. So my ability to transition and, and, and morph into the role that's necessary at the time is part of how I've become the CEO of US Club Soccer because when I need to step back and let other folks run things and make decisions and operate, I'm happy to do so. I don't need the stage. Um, I need to make sure that the stage is filled and moving forward. So uh, no, I, I make lots of decisions and a lot of big decisions every day. I, I don't need to be in a place with U.S. Soccer as the vice president where I'm operational. If they need me, they know that I'm, I will, my hand is always up. But I'm not going to force myself into a position. They just don't need me. They're, they're super talented people. So, you know, it, no, it's not hard at all. Understood. Now, you just said, as the CEO of U.S. Club Soccer, what has kind of been your goal and your vision for ex expansion and, and really taking U.S. club soccer to even greater heights? Yeah, ironically, our goal hasn't been expansion. Um, you, you know, we're a nonprofit, so our, our, our goal has been to serve our members. Uh, expansion is a byproduct of maintaining membership, maintaining relationships, and, and providing a platform where our clubs and leagues can do the work of developing players and, and um, all of the work that comes along with that. And I think having a career in running clubs and being a coach, and uh, it helps me in that perspective. So our focus hasn't been expansion. Our, our focus has been service. And we, we talk about all the time as if it's good for soccer, it's good for U.S. soccer. If it's good for U.S. soccer, it's good for U.S. club soccer. And I, and I hope that to be true of all the membership. Um, but expansion is just a byproduct of um, doing the right things, in my opinion. And I think if you focus on how do we grow, how do we grow, how do we grow, how do we drop more money to the bottom line, you lose sight of the end goal, which is the game. And what are some things from a service perspective that you feel that U.S. club soccer does so well? Anywhere from registration, safeguarding, discipline, all of these uh, the, these departments are things that we've really doubled down on and grown. Um, our marketing communications team, education development team, these are new. We built these over the last couple of years and what they do for not just our members, but working with other members, other state associations and trying to, to align, 
It's been fascinating to watch. Um, I don't know necessarily what we do better than somebody else. I don't spend a whole lot of time trying to figure out, you know, how do we top them here. I just focus on what are we doing and how do we make that better, and, and how that compares to what other folks are doing. I think is for the, the, the end user to decide. Um, and you know, I don't have enough bandwidth to, to, to spend a lot of time doing that. So we, we've re rewritten a ton of processes. Um, you know, we've built out a safeguarding department, we've built out marketing communications, we've built out education development. Um, we invest three quarters of a million dollars in player development with ID2 every year. And generally that's resonating and our, and our growth is happening, make no mistake, but it is, it's a byproduct of that. And so based on you know everything that you've mentioned, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that you don't view USL, the new USL Youth League, do you view that as competition or is it more so for the benefit of US soccer? Yeah, you know, I just saw the release, so I don't know a lot about it. Um, I haven't had a chance to dig down. I, I, I respect the USL guys a lot and, and we have ongoing conversations with all the professional leagues and I, I think that, look, what's important is that for us to be successful as a country, we need successful professional leagues. And we want those leagues to be successful and we know that the clubs in those leagues need development platforms and they're gonna make decisions that they believe are in the best interest of developing players for them to, uh, whatever their goals and their mission is. So, um, you know, whether it's USL or, or any other league, no, I don't view it as competition per se. We are competing in, in, in a way, of course, but no, I, I think, and the reality is a lot of those players are also in our, our platform. They're not exclusive to anyone. So the more we're working together with the professional leagues, the better it's going to be for soccer. So, uh, you know, let's not put up walls there. Is there a big problem, a big issue, anything within the youth soccer scene right now that you're looking to improve? Referees is a crisis. 100% crisis. Um, I took over as the chair of the referee committee in May, um, and I am spending a significant amount of time on referee issues. I'm really excited at the progress that we've made, but a lot of the progress we've made is unseen because we have to lay the foundation to be able to go address the issues. Um, you know, we have, and it, it's difficult to get registered and certified, um, and there are different rules throughout the country for that. We absolutely have a ref abuse, ref assault issue and the way that players, coaches, and fans, spectators are treating our officials. We've got to deal with that. That's our number one priority right now and there'll be more, more coming out on a working group that we're standing up uh, here in the next few days. Um, we have a development issue, right? Fewer than one and a half percent of all of our referees have transitioned past the grassroots. So we're not mentoring them, we're not developing on them. And, and, and the reason, one of the reasons anybody quits anything is because they don't feel they're good enough at it anymore. And if as a referee you're taking on abuse, and it could be that you have some development to do, but it do, you don't deserve to be treated that way. If we're not providing them the development, the feedback, the mentoring, well, they just walk away because they don't feel like there's an end game for us. Their journey isn't complete. And I think we, what we're trying to do is unwind all of that and, and instead of looking at structures and in looking at um, organizational responsibilities, let's look at the journey of the referee and how do we support him and her along that path. Um, I, I think that we have significant issues as it relates to safeguarding, participant safety. 
I'm very proud of the work that, that uh, we've been doing. I'm the vice chair of the Yates Implementation Committee as well for the Federation. I'm super proud of the work that we've done there. Uh, but now we are in the next stage of this and, and, and launching some participant safety initiatives in U.S. soccer. Fantastic. But we still have a significant problem with the Center for Safe Sport and the way that they manage this process. It, it needs real addressing and I think you know, Mana Shim and the work that she's doing is, and, and Emily, Emily Coslett, the unbelievable work, but we need to support them even more to help Congress change what is there. I, I think those, for me, those are the things I'm spending a lot of time on. Um, and, and look, the, 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 the other one which is obvious is we still live in a zero-sum community in youth soccer which is one member grows at the expense of another. And so nobody's really investing in going into communities that we don't exist and, and, and having proper representation of, around all of the communities, not just the suburban areas. Um, and there's no incentive to do that because the second they do, a player may jump ship and go to us or to another competing organization. And, 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 and this, the work that we're doing now to lay the foundation on a potential unification and bringing everybody back together is really exciting. I don't know where it goes, but I'm certainly encouraged by it and the way that everybody in the, in the membership is leaning in. We all say, yes, it's broken, 100%. That's easy, that's the easy part. Um, and so, but once we've recognized the problem, now we can solve it. And I think in the past it was, no, we're just going to keep fighting. And now we're going, I'm kind of tired of that. I'm kind of tired of that. Um, so, you know, those are the three areas that I'm uh, spending a lot of my time and energy on outside of the work of U.S. Club Soccer, but in terms of my roles within the Federation. That's awesome. It's incredibly, incredibly detailed, complex. I love to hear stuff like that. Um, do you have any message you want to get out right now to any youth soccer players, parents, coaches? Any message at all? Ooh, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, Look, we love the sport. Uh, it doesn't matter the patch on your sleeve. It doesn't matter the level of play. Um, whether you're playing for the first time um, or you're playing in something other than 11-a-side soccer, as we know it, soccer is soccer. You're part of the family. You're part of the community. And, and we need to support all of those different um, opportunities for, for folks. We certainly want to lean in and, and, and grow the game in all of its forms. We have a, a real opportunity with our extended national teams and our youth national teams to be better than we are and find ways for more players um, with a disability or any any of the other, you know, including futsal and beach, to, to join and be a part of this and to go win at all of those levels. And so if you're part of it, you're part of it. And you you are part of US soccer and, and to me it's it's critically important that we are one nation, one team. Why should you be the next VP of USA? Yeah, that's for others to decide. I, I, you know, I, I laid out why I'm running. Um, I think it's incredibly important that, that the vice president has a strong partnership with the president and the CEO. Uh, there's no question I have that. Uh, you, you know, I, I think that understanding our sport and being a part of it for 30 plus years 
develops a, a real understanding and empathy for our peers and the membership. And so, you know, I don't need to learn what the problems are in different parts of the country because I'm living it, I'm experiencing it. There's nuance, I understand that, geographics, weather, uh, socioeconomics, access. But certainly there are nuances in different parts of the country, but we are all facing the same issues for sure. And, you know, the work that the board of directors under Cindy's, you know, leadership has done to support our staff and move this federation. I, we continue to hear across the landscape, it's different. It's different. And that's incredibly exciting but rewarding because, you know, I've been a small part of that. And I think for us to continue on that trajectory is critically important and that, that you know, requires a real partnership and a clear understanding of where we're going without any ulterior motives for running. Again, that was Mike Colina, the CEO of U.S. Club Soccer, who is running for vice president of U.S. Soccer. Again, the election is coming up soon. So again, stay tuned. We're keeping our fingers crossed. We are hoping that Mike will eventually become the vice president of U.S. Soccer. That would be an incredible honor and achievement. And we're wishing him all the best. And that was, again, just a, a guy who just has it all together in terms of just knows exactly what he wants to do, has a direction, has a vision, and is going to go straight towards it. And there's nothing that anyone is going to be able to do to get in his way. So really excited for you, Mr. Kalina, and best of luck with the election coming up. All right. For the last portion of our show, we have three big items from the FAWSL in England. One, Vivian Miedema is back, and she came back with a bang. And guess who provided the assist? Emily Fox. Brand new signing coming over from the NWSL. And Emily Fox immediately showing what she can do on the pitch. And it was a lovely little move in a tight area. Worked around multiple defenders with her quickness, showing that she's fast. She, she's got some wheels on her. And not just the wheels, but the ability to dribble with the ball at her feet while showing off the wheels. So Emily Fox's future is so incredibly bright. And watching her do what she did, like clearly not much of a transition period. Sometimes it, the physicality of, of that league can also be at a, at a high level and a tough thing to adjust to. We saw Rose never really quite adjusted when during her time at Man City, where that was a big deal. And like Rose never quite got settled. Emily Fox is looking like she's going to settle in right away. And that is so exciting to see. And then to see Vivian Miedema come back and score that goal with a bang. Incredible. It must have been an incredibly tough time for her to sit out all that time and to know and to have the doubt, that self-doubt that creeps in. Can I do this at the same level that I once did? Can I even do it at all? All of those questions have to be circling in your mind, and she stepped up, and it was almost as if all of those feelings and emotions that she had pent up, she released it into into that strike. Like, football is therapeutic for her. Like, it's cathartic, and it, and it helped release something because the way she hit that ball, man, go watch that goal. Go watch her first goal back because it was an absolute beauty. Emily Fox to Vivian Biedema. Again, we've been talking about free agent signings 
this whole episode and we go back to a Ji So Yoon, another player that I love and have raved about for so long as one of the best midfielders in the world. A top 10 midfielder, I would say. And has been at Chelsea for, for so long and is finally coming to the NWSL to sign with Seattle. First things first, so glad we can call it the Seattle Reign again. Let's get that out of the way, too. Ji So Yoon, South Korea's best midfielder, best player they've ever produced. Again, if you can start and play in Chelsea's midfield, you're that puts you on another stratosphere, it puts you on another level because of the players that you're playing with, and it means that you're part of an elite group of players already. And that's exactly what she was. So the fact that she's coming to Seattle and her technical ability combined with Jess Fishlock's technical ability in that midfield is going to be a dangerous one-two punch. Now, I think the only question mark is how often will they be on the pitch together with injuries, with age being a factor? How often will they get to be together? But that's been the question for the Seattle Reign for the last couple of years they've had so much star power but when they've been able to get it all on the pitch together they have not the last step has been missing that final just getting to the final and just coming up just that one step short that's really the only thing that they're missing because this core of this team is still still incredible and they're obviously going to be very very competitive this this upcoming season so Seattle as well it's going to be a fun fun team to watch with Ji So Yoon in the middle of it all lastly Myra Ramirez is headed to Chelsea I believe from Levante for what was a record fee it's about 427,000 pounds which is around $539,000. Again, that broke the record for Kira Walsh's transfer from Manchester City to Barcelona. And you're seeing what Myra Ramirez can do this season before signing with Chelsea already had six goals in seven appearances in the year before that, 14 goals in 27 appearances, so a goal almost every other game. And now this year, she's doubling that output. So this is obviously a move Chelsea had been scouting her for a while, and they'd waited and waited for their time. And at 24 years old, Ramirez is certainly the future of the Colombian program alongside Linda Caicedo, who is also a star in her own right. So Colombian soccer is clearly in good hands, and Ramirez is going to be the next big star at Chelsea uh, to, to help things out up front. This is clearly a move with Sam Kerr's unfortunate injury. Myra Ramirez comes in now to pick up some of the scoring slack. And then Katerina Macario is coming back. So Chelsea, again, when players seem to leave, more great players seem to come in. And what will be Emma Hayes' last year in charge of the Blues. All right, that is all that we have for you on episode 69 of Give and Go. I am your host, Rotas Wadera, and thank you so, so much for making the choice to listen to us at Girls Soccer Network. Again, for all the latest and greatest news, analysis, lifestyle pieces, everything within the world of women's soccer, go to www.girlsoccernetwork.com. Check us out on Instagram at Girls Soccer Network or on Twitter at Girls Soccer Net. Check me out on Instagram. I will give you a follow back, I promise, at Rowan Detoss. 25 R O W I N 
D-A-T-A-S-25. Check me out there, guys. Again, we are so incredibly grateful for everyone who is tuning in and listening. You guys, we wouldn't be able to do this without you. You guys are the ones that support us and give us these opportunities. So thank you guys so, so much. And we will be back in a few weeks again, episode 70 next. But this is the end of episode 69. Peace out, y'all.